listeners. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of E Pluribus Unum, a podcast focused on bridging gaps so we can become, once again, a nation united. You know, as they say in Latin, E Pluribus Unum, out of many one. See what I did there? That's how I got the name for the podcast. Because that's the point of the podcast, is to bring people together, whether it's through biblical lessons or traditional values or just being able to talk to people who might think differently than we do, but really listening to what they have to say, not assuming that we know why they think the things they think, and being open-minded. That's why I'm here. I assume that's why you're here. I'm glad to have you here. March 8th was International Women's Day, a day that celebrates the social, economic, and political achievements of women around the world. The day also brings international awareness to gender parity. Side note, parity is the opposite of disparity. I don't know why that didn't hit me until about a year ago, that disparity. Remove the prefix, and it's parity. Anyway, it's a real word. According to the World Economic Forum, global gender equality is estimated to be achieved by 2133. I don't know how they got that number. There's no indication here of how they came up with that. It seems pretty random to me. They define gender equality as the equal access to the same rights and opportunities regardless of gender. These rights and opportunities include healthcare, education, employment slash economic gain, pay, protection under the law, right to vote, and free from violence. If you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I think celebrations are a good thing. If we have decided a day is a holiday and something to celebrate that's positive, I am on board. If you want me there for National Chocolate Chip Cookie Day or National Hopscotch Day, I am totally in. And the same thing here. A day to celebrate women, I am on board. I was born a woman. I'm still a woman. I identify as a woman. That I'm feminine. I have at times called myself a feminist. I am on board. Women are worth celebrating. Women should celebrate other women. Men should celebrate women. Children, everyone. Women are definitely worth celebrating. But what are we celebrating when we celebrate women? And this is where I have a little bit of an issue with this holiday. Not an issue. Questions. Women have a lot to offer the world. We have unique skills and talents and capabilities that God gave us for a particular purpose that we use to enrich the world. And those should be celebrated because without women, literally the species wouldn't exist because it takes a man and woman to procreate. Men and women are two halves of a whole. They're a yin and yang, and we need both for the world to operate as it's supposed to. But International Women's Day focuses on the social, political, and economic achievements of women. And while there are things worth celebrating in those realms, they're not unique to women. For example, Kamala Harris is the first female vice president. Side note, in case I haven't mentioned it before, congratulations to Kamala Harris on being vice president. The fact that she's a woman means absolutely nothing to me. I don't vote for people based upon their sex or their race, or their religion. I vote for people based upon their values and their beliefs and their ideas, most of which Kamala Harris and I do not share. So she might be a lovely human in person. She might be a good friend and a good wife. But 
the fact that she's a woman doesn't impress me and is not a reason for me to vote for her. And frankly, I don't understand people who vote just based upon things like race or sex or religion, because especially race and sex, I guess religion could potentially tell you something about a person and where they stand on things. But someone's race and sex, it's like voting for someone based on their hair color. I'm not going to vote for a brunette because I'm brunette. It doesn't tell me anything about who they are. And I don't care whether or not there's someone who looks like me in office. I care that there's someone who thinks like me in office. And I think if most people were honest with themselves, they would think that too. How many women on the left supported Sarah Palin? Very few. How many people on the left liked Dr. Ben Carson when he was running? Very few. Black people who didn't agree with Ben Carson didn't vote for Ben Carson because they didn't like what he had to say. And if people really cared about race as much as they said, people wouldn't have voted for Joe Biden because he's an old white man in case you hadn't noticed. Anyway, that was a little side note. But Kamala Harris is the first female vice president, which is historical in that it's never happened before. It's not meaningful necessarily, but it is historical. But I wouldn't celebrate Kamala Harris's achievement on International Women's Day. I would celebrate her on Vice President's Day, if such a thing exists. International Women's Day, or Women's Day, should be dedicated to celebrating the unique contributions of women. Other humans have been vice president. There's nothing unique about being a woman that allowed Kamala Harris to become vice president. But she didn't become vice president because she was a woman. She became vice president because in the eyes of however many millions of people, she was a competent human. The fact that she was female was irrelevant. I've never understood this need or this idea that for women to achieve equality in the world, we have to achieve equality by men's standards. So that we have to have careers or we have to study STEM in college or we have to make a certain amount. Why is doing those things a sign of achievement for women? It's sort of like that quote, everybody is a genius, but if you judge a fish by its ability to climb a tree, it will live its whole life believing that it is stupid. A fish can't climb a tree, so holding it to that standard is unfair and is going to make it seem worthless. The same thing with women. We keep on measuring female success in this country and elsewhere by standards of how much money they make or what sort of jobs they have or what they've studied in college, what specific economic and political contributions they've made. And no wonder women around the world are not very happy because that's not what God put us here for. Those aren't our unique gifts. Our unique gifts come in the emotional realm, in the ability, in the relational realm, in the ability to raise children, the ability to create community. All of these things which are equally important, but we've been told as women that we're supposed to measure ourselves by men's standards. And of course, we're going to fall short. It's interesting that people who call themselves feminists seem to be at the forefront of some of these discussions of deciding that women need to be equally represented in in government or in schools or in certain types of jobs as an indication of equality. By indicating the ways in which they want women to be included, they're implying that the things that women already do are inferior. If anyone has internalized the patriarchy, which I put in quotes, but if anyone has internalized the patriarchy, 
It's feminists. It's the feminists who judge women and want women to be represented in ways that are not typical of women, who want a certain number of women represented in the workforce, implying that not being in the workforce is the lesser of the two, who want women to be a certain amount of representation in STEM degrees and STEM jobs. STEM, by the way, is a is an acronym for science, technology, engineering, and math. But wanting equal representation of women there implies that the arts and the humanities and the liberal sciences are not as important. Who want equal representation of women in sports, which then implies that the other activities that kids and college students can be involved in is not as important as sports. The things that women offer, uniquely offer, that men as a whole don't do, not just the literal bearing of children, but also the raising of children and the ability to create communities and help relationships and the more emotional, touchy-feely type stuff, to say that women need more than this to be equal is to imply that those things are not enough. And those things are so important. Bridging gaps between people, helping with good communication, raising children, my goodness, raising children has to be the most important thing that a person can do because that's furthering the human race and good parenting, good mothering can create good, responsible, moral, upstanding people. What could possibly be more important than raising the next generation of humans? Whenever I talk about this topic with my dad, he always comments that it's so interesting that women envy men for working out of the house 40 plus hours a week and having to sit in a commute to and from work and having to miss so much of the at-home stuff. Why do women envy that? I don't. I've done the commute. I've done the 40-hour work week. I've done the missing family events. Not only is it interesting that women should envy that when it's not inherently better than being at home, it's interesting that women even assumed that men liked that. Men did it. Men do it because people need money and they need sustenance to live. Someone has to do it so that someone is the man. But why do we assume that the man is so happy with his boss that hates him and the job that doesn't fulfill him and the two-hour commute each day sitting in traffic and the cramps he's getting from sitting at a desk that's not comfortable and the glasses he had to get too early because he's staring at a computer all day or the fathers of the past, the traveling salesmen, or today, the truck drivers, fathers that don't get to be home. Why do we assume that that's better? Why do we assume that that's the enviable position as opposed to the mother who gets to be at home and be with her children and meet her friends for coffee and stay in pajamas all day and make her own food? Sounds preferable to me. Of course, the real issue here is that people should have the choice. Some men are more suited to staying at home and some women are more suited to a career outside of the home. And that's fine. I'm not here to judge on an individual basis or to tell people what to do. Everyone has different needs, and everyone decides what works best for his family. But we're talking about the sex as a whole. And on the whole, women are more suited to the emotional, personal, relational type work that is required for life. And men are more suited to the outside of the home work 40 hours a week. Part of that dynamic comes from the fact that, yes, there were times in history when women were not allowed to do certain things, or it was considered immodest for women to do certain things. Like when it was considered immodest for women 
to be actresses. And being an actress was similar to being a prostitute. So yes, part of it does come from attitudes and behaviors and traditions that it's good we've left behind because women should have the option to make decisions about whether or not she wants to be a career person or a mother or work part-time or work inside the home or outside the home. Every woman around the world should have the choice about that. But part of it also comes from how we as a human race evolved. We used to have to hunt for food. Men, on average, are physically stronger than women. So they went out and did the dangerous work and women stayed home. And women in so many different animal species take care of their children. There are few animal species where the men do it, but in most of them, it's the women. And it does kind of make sense. The baby grows inside your body and comes out of you. It's very easy to imagine in prehistoric society that early humans thought, oh, the baby comes out of you. You're probably best suited to take care of it. That seems reasonable to me. If we put ourselves in that moment, I think any of us probably would have made the same thought. Oh yeah, the baby came out of my body. Maybe I should take care of it. It was connected to me for nine months after all. So that's the other part of why we have these traditional gender roles of the women doing things at home and the men going out is because that's what the men's bodies were better suited for and that's what the women's bodies were better suited for. And also remember that women had to be protected. From a biological standpoint, every species is focused on survival and making sure that enough creatures survive to create the next generation. It does not take as many men to further the species as it does women. One man could sleep with many multiple women and get all of them pregnant, but a woman can only be pregnant one at a time. So it made sense that the men would go out, do the hunting, or do the warring with other tribes or other countries, do the dangerous work of mining and digging and building and anything else that was physically dangerous. If a man died, still a tragedy to that family, but he's more easily replaceable when it comes to furthering the species than a woman is. And also, yes, men's bodies are more suited to that. They're generally stronger than women. People have a problem saying that men are generally stronger than women, but the only reason one would have a problem saying that men are stronger than women is if you think that strength is the ideal. And if you do think that strength is the ideal, then you've bought into the patriarchy, my friend, because strength is not the ideal for a woman. For a man, strength is an ideal, but for a woman, physical upper body strength is not as important as emotional strength and emotional intelligence. So anytime you or someone else is bothered by saying women are not as blank as men, then they've bought into the idea that what the man has is the ideal and is better. But it's not. It's the ideal for men, not the ideal for women. We are different. In Orthodox Judaism, and I imagine in traditional Christian homes and probably traditional Muslim homes and other traditional homes, gender roles are pretty clearly defined, and they do follow more of a old-fashioned way of life. Often the men are the ones going out and working, and, and it's the women who stay home and do the work of the child-rearing, cooking, and cleaning, etc. I've been watching Last Man Standing, the Tim Allen sitcom, which is pretty good. And there was a scene, it's set in 2016, during the lead up to the election, Tim Allen's wife wants to vote for Hillary. By the way, this show is a really great example of a, quote, mixed marriage working because Tim Allen is very much on the right and his wife is on the left or liberal, but they make it work because they have other things that connect them and their family, which also spans the political divide. 
still loves each other. So it's a pretty good example from that standpoint. But in this particular episode, Tim Allen's wife, whose name is Vanessa in the show, is talking to her daughter Eve about how important it is for Hillary to win because it would be such a big deal to have a woman as president. And she makes a comment along the lines of women not being slaves to their husbands or to their kitchens anymore. The use of the word slave really bothered me. And I was in the middle of formulating my thoughts. And I was thinking about that concept of the woman being the slave to her husband. And I thought, if she's making the choice, if that's how the division of labor has been worked out, she's not a slave. And then I read something from G.K. Chesterton, and he put it even better than I did, obviously, because he was a very witty and pithy and wise man. And he said, it, being feminism, is mixed up with a muddled idea that women are free when they serve their employers, but slaves when they help their husbands. This goes back to what I was questioning before. Why is it better for a woman to be in the workforce than to be at home? Yes, when she's in the workforce, she's making money, but that's only better if you think that money is more important than raising your children in a loving, moral home. Isn't it interesting, by the way, that the people who probably would say that making money is more important are often on the left, which tends to be a little bit more socialist, which is all about sharing money. What's with all this focus on money recently? This is a different topic, but I had to talk about it just briefly. When a woman works in the home, the work she does is for the people she loves the most. She's cooking directly for her husband and her children. She's cleaning directly for them. And yes, hopefully the husband and the children are helping. I don't think a woman should be responsible for all of it, unless it's someone like me who really likes to clean. And also no one else cleans the right way. So I don't mind being in charge of it. Though my husband does a lot of the cooking because he's a really good cook. And then there are people who argue that it's really nice that women stay in the home, but that they should be compensated for it, which again indicates that being paid for work is the only reason or the most important reason that one does work. But that's not the most important reason one does work. You can talk to people who take jobs that they love but don't pay much and realize that money is not the most important thing. It is a very important thing. I'm not denying that we need money. We need to buy food. We need to provide shelter, have clothing. It's also nice to have money for extra luxuries like going to the movies or cute clothes or restaurants or whatever the thing is. But that's not the most important reason that we work. It's not even the main reason for people who are struggling. The thing that gets them through is not the money. It's the knowledge of why they're getting the money. They're, they need money for their family, for their wives, for their husbands, for their children, for their dream of traveling to Paris, whatever it is. It's that dream, that love that pushes people through. For a rare few, it's just the love of money. I don't think that's a good love. I think it's unhealthy to worship money. But for a few people, that is their focus. But that's not the focus for most people. I would argue that the focus for not just women in the home, but the men who are working outside the home, the focus is the home and they're just doing different things. They're just each contributing in their own way to what matters most to them. I started talking about religious homes a little bit earlier and about the division of labor and how there are very specific gender roles in Judaism in particular. To an outsider, especially to someone who's pretty woke or someone who calls themselves a feminist, they would be disturbed by what they see in the Orthodox world. In fact, many are, and many think that the Orthodox world is very sexist. And from the outside, it would appear this way. And in some communities, it's true, because people misinterpret religion, they take it too far, and sometimes it has nothing to do with religion, and people are just 
oppressive. There are abusive relationships in every religion, in every level of religion, in every non-religion. There are problems. If we're talking generally about the Orthodox world and the division of labor and the gender roles, it's not sexist. It's a very healthy balance that recognizes that each gender has something unique to offer to the world. So you will often find women being the ones at home raising the children. Because raising children, being fruitful and multiplying, is the first mitzvah. It's one of the most important things that people can do. Getting married and having children is the goal. When a Jewish child is born, one of the blessings is that they'll be raised to get married, which means really having children, because that is the purpose of our existence and our creation, is to create a godly world, but then to create more generations that can continue the important work of making a godly world. Men do participate outwardly more in the Jewish community, in the Orthodox community in particular. They are the ones who wear the kippah and tzitzit, which is very easily recognizable to anyone who's not Jewish, the skull cap and the fringes. The women also have a uniform that they wear, a modest uniform of skirts past the knee, sleeves that pass the elbows, nothing too low cut. And this way of dressing is not repressive. Women can look gorgeous. It's not about not looking beautiful. It's about respecting one's own body and not allowing every man to ogle it and saying that who I am as a person, my mind, my character is more important than my body, so please stop looking. In fact, modest dress I find to be way more feminist than letting it all hang out because as much as we say men shouldn't look at us as objects, and they shouldn't, if we dress like sex is all we're about, then that is what men are going to see. But if we treat ourselves with respect and treat our bodies with respect, then people will respect us. In Orthodox synagogues, men are the one who read from the Torah. They're the ones who lead the service. Women do not. And this is seen by many as an indication that women are not allowed to participate. The truth is the synagogue has become the center and focus for a lot of Jews because they don't have it in the home. But the center of Judaism is actually supposed to be in the home. The synagogue is a substitute, but it's the home, it's the woman's domain that is actually supposed to be central to Jewish lives because that's where the children are raised and raising the next generation of Jewish individuals is the most important task that a Jewish man and woman can undertake. It's actually boggling to me the people that don't recognize that raising children is the most special and most important thing anyone can do. It's great to be a computer programmer or a social media manager or a doctor, but most of those jobs, someone else could do. You might be a very good doctor, and I'm not minimizing anyone's specific talents or contributions. You've been given those talents by God, and I hope you use them to the best of your ability. But being a parent to your children, you can do that best in most circumstances. There are exceptions, but generally speaking, you, it's you, you had the children. It's up to you to mold them. What an awesome responsibility to have and to think sitting in front of a desk eight hours a day and punching in numbers is somehow more important than that, more meaningful, more fulfilling. Or if one doesn't have children, but is just married and keeping house for the person you love the most, for your husband, by cooking foods that he really likes or foods that you really like or keeping a clean space. Why is it not so clear that that's way more fulfilling than writing website copy? Jobs can be fulfilling, 
And I hope everyone listening has a job that's fulfilling because if one has to work better, that one be fulfilled by it and feel happy and feel like one is contributing to the world. But there's, there's really nothing that can compare to raising the next generation of humans. It's an awesome responsibility to have. I mentioned earlier in the week when I was talking about the creation of the tabernacle in the desert that the women contributed specifically to it with their mirrors that created the laver. In addition to thinking that Orthodox Judaism is sexist, a lot of people think that the Bible is sexist. Yes, there are more men of prominence in the Bible. There were more men of prominence in the past. That's just how it is, as mentioned previously, partially because some of those societies were sexist and partially because that's just how it worked. Men were in the public sphere and women were in the home. Just because someone isn't famous doesn't mean they aren't contributing an incredible amount to the world. But there are plenty of women mentioned in the Torah for heroic and good deeds. And the Israelite women are often praised for a variety of reasons, whether it's their staunch faith in their redemption, which inspires them to bring out their musical instruments from Egypt because they know they'll be redeemed, or if it is the fact that they endeavored to have children with their husband while their husbands were enslaved, or the fact that they did not participate in the sin of the golden calf. And the list of women who are named is longer than people think. We have the matriarchs, Sarah, Rivka, Rachel, and Leah. There's Bachia, Paro's daughter, who saves Moshe from the water. Moshe's sister, Miriam, his mother, Yocheved, Shifra and Pua, the two Egyptian midwives who refused to kill the Israelite babies. There's Ruth, the convert, Esther, the queen, Devorah, the prophetess, Michal, David's wife, who is a very strong woman in her own right. There are a lot of strong women in the Bible. To say that the Bible is sexist is to so misunderstand the Bible that it's sad, actually. And it's so clear that it's a misreading. Because if you were to meet the average Orthodox woman, you would be meeting a strong, independent woman who makes her own choices, who has opinions about what's right and wrong, who has talents to offer with the world, who shares her talents with the world. And she does all that because she's been taught from a young age that she as a woman has a particular role in this world. God made her a woman for a particular reason, and she has particular talents, and she can use those talents to make the world a better place. And isn't that such a better message to teach our young people or to teach old people or anyone? Not that women, that they have to compete with men on men's level, not that they have to be fish climbing trees, but that they're fish swimming in the water, that they're exactly where they're meant to be. They're as God created them to be, and they have so much to offer the world, and their unique contributions are so important. Listen to me. I'm a woman. I'm very feminine. I have a very strong religious background. I have a very strong belief in what makes a woman and a woman's particular contributions, but I'm here speaking my mind. I'm not some meek little wallflower sitting in a corner. And that's not what most Orthodox women are. By the way, if you've ever been to an Orthodox household, people on the outside might think the men are running things. Mm -mm. It is the women. It is the women who are making the decisions. And by the way, how many times is that played out in TV shows that men outwardly act like they're running things, but then they have to go home and ask their wives and the wives are the ones who who are in control? The reason that's funny to all of us is because it's true. It's the woman who runs the home. A man might be the man of the house, but it's the woman's domain, and she's making the choices. There's this old Jewish joke about a man and a woman who get married, and when they get married, the man says to the wife, throughout our marriage, I will make the big decisions, 
but you will make all the small decisions. That's their agreement. And then the years go by and the children are born and they have to decide which preschool to send them to and the wife chooses and they have to decide where to live and the wife chooses and then they have to decide which college to send the kids to and the wife decides and finally the husband's fed up and he says, wife, we made this agreement when we first got married that I would make the big decisions and you'll make the small decisions. But you've been making all the big decisions in our life. What's going on? And she said, what are you talking about? You are making all the decisions. You do the voting for the president and the vice president, blah, blah, blah. And I'm choosing where the kids go to school and where we live. It's all about perspective. It's all about how you look at things. Is it more important who's the president? Or is it more important what school your kids go to and where you live? Is it more important for a woman to have a career and to be making money or to raise children? and to create a home that is warm and inviting and welcoming both to her family and to friends. You have to decide for yourself. It's very clear where I stand. One thing, though, that we can all do, whether we are a man or a woman, whether we work inside the home or outside the home, we can all focus on being a little kinder than necessary. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to E Pluribus Unum. I hope today's episode made you think or brought some clarity and positivity to your day. Subscribe to the show to always get the most recent episode directly to your device. Please leave a rating and a review and share the show with your family, friends, or anyone you think might benefit from a little Torah wisdom and conservative thoughts. For more of my thoughts and ideas I share from others, please follow me on Instagram at conservativejewishfemale or read my blog conservativejewishfemale.blogspot.com. The intro-outro music is Chopin's Waterfall Etude. Have a great day!